Morning? All right. Working on it. Hey, there's some handouts up here if you want to follow along. Cheryl's going to grab some pens and bring them up if you'd like to uh, follow along there. There's notes in here. There's going to be notes on the screen. And as always, if you have your web-enabled smartphone, you can follow along using the free app called Uversion. Bottom right corner, there's a button that's called More. Under More, you can look under Live Events and then search into one. And all the notes will be there. There's uh, substantially more content that will be on the screen and on your phone than there will be in your handout. The handout didn't have enough space for it. Um, also, if you get one of these things, we have the, uh, the tear-out part right on here. If you wanted to uh, let us know that you're in need of some prayer, you'd like a visit, you're interested in baptism, you, you want to take me out for lunch, you know, whatever it is that's deeply on your heart right now, I want you to know that you can do that. Um, and let us know that you're, if you're visiting with us or that you're here and you want to uh, update your contact information. Just rip this section off. It goes in the white box right up here when you're done. Same place where you can put your offering. Offering goes in there as well. Um, and there's envelopes up here if you want to make sure your tax receipted. You can also give through our website at intoone.ca. You can follow there. Now, the other part is this basket. You remember what this basket's for? This is our faith basket. That's what this is. And yeah, because we're, we're putting, we're, we have a lot of expenses coming up the next little while, but we're trusting God that he's going to provide for us. And one of the ways that we're going to show that we trust is to say, above and beyond whatever it is I'm going to regularly give, I'm going to, we're challenging everyone, $10. $10 over the month of February to adjust, to scrimp, to save, to sacrifice something, $10, and we'll send this entirely somewhere else, somewhere that doesn't impact us, somewhere that we will say, God, I am partnering with your work in the world as we believe that you are partnering with our work right here. This is your place, God. We know you're involved here. We want to participate somewhere else. So this one, um, and if you, if you want, you can still do it through your envelope. You can just write on your envelope plus 10 for the missions. So you still get your tax receipt. We're not trying to rob you of that or anything. All right, so that one's there as well. So we have that. Um, oh, the last thing, these books. A number of you took these last time, and I would encourage you, if you haven't, take one, okay? If, if you're going to miss the first days, that's okay. If you want to make it go longer, whatever. This is to help you count down to Easter. Very short. Not a lot. This is a day. It's very easy to manage. Great stuff to help you count down and prepare for Easter. Um, yeah, think about those things to get participating in the right kind of direction. That's what we would really like to see, that we, uh, we have something that's common. Right? We have a common script. That's what we're trying to develop now as we uh, are working on our, our series. We're talking about The Gifted. The Gifted, we've been in it for uh, five weeks already. And you're thinking, whew, is this sucker ever going to end? Uh, and the problem is that there's so many different gifts to talk about. And so that's why we've been working through. We're working on a common language so that we would have a way to speak to each other, that we would be able to say the same things to each other and have the words mean the same sorts of things. So as we get started for that right now, I want to pause for a moment and uh, ask you to pray. And, and what, I, what I mean is, I, I want you to, to listen while I pray, but I'd like you to pray with me, that we would agree together in prayer, that we would be able to say these things. And if you want to say something else to God, that's okay too. But uh, pray with me if you will. Kind Father, You are so involved in our lives, and, and so regularly we, dis, we discount it. We, uh, we don't see you. We don't see you the way that we would like to see you. And I ask that you would remind us today that you are deeply involved and invested in us. In this week alone, God, I, I think of the stories that I have on my heart. Some are well-known, some are kind of private. There are a number of people within our fellowship who are celebrating. There are a number of people who are in deep question. There have been things that have come along medically surprising people. There have been situations that have adjusted the way we thought things were going to go. Pray for my friends that aren't here, especially for the ones that I know why they're not here. God, we ask that you would continue to be at work in our midst. 
transform our minds by your presence, by the gift of your spirit, would you please continue to shape us that we would long more for you than what you will do for me. That I would seek Christ and Christ alone. And when it looks dark and you seem distant, God, I pray that you would remind us that you are always there. And you will stand beside us. Your goal, your, your plan is to strengthen us and to grow us, to give us the ability to stand up, to bear up under, to come through, that there would be a story on the other side where we will again be able to give you glory because you are simply who you are. Not just about what you do, but because of who you are. Be with us today, and I pray that you would send your spirit to send a, a, a sense of peace to us as we talk about something today that uh, it doesn't have necessarily the best history in the Christian church. And we'd really like to change that around. So speak to us through your word today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our common script, we're writing it so that together we will be able to walk together on this road trip, drive together, walk together, mixing my metaphors, um, this road trip together into one, that we would grow together experientially and theologically and biblically. That God, you would continue to meet us in new and special ways that would give us the sense that we are more than just people who sit together. Help us to sense your partnership with us more and more, that we are not simply on our own, but together you are with us, working out your will with us and through us. Help us to understand each other and to talk to each other well and to work better together. May this be a gift that you give to us as we go forward. We have started in our series by looking at what we call the love gifts. And then we've gone on to look at what we call the word gifts. And if you don't know what we're talking about, then this is the only time I really ever say this. This series particularly, we're saying, please, go back and listen to the whole thing. Because the, the common script is what we really want. Shared language that pulls us together. Today we transition from word gifts to power gifts. Today we're going to look at a gift that functions as both a word gift and a power gift, and that gift is prophecy. This is going to mark a change in tone from what we've been talking about. And for some of you, um, the thoughts come on as, finally, let's light this sucker up. Bring it on. This is the answer to all the church's problems. We just need more power gifts. Yeehaw! For others of you, you're saying, oh, no, 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 no. I don't want to live in crazy town. I heard about places like that. I don't want to be anything like this. My mama warned me about crazy people my whole life. I don't want into one to become one of those churches. First, let's remember we started at the beginning where we started to remind you that all the gifts are spiritual not some of the gifts. All the gifts were given by God. All the gifts are necessary. All the gifts are used for the building up of the church. All the gifts are important. All of the gifts bring together a balance that God created. So we don't emphasize one over the other. One is not better than the other. We need them all. So before we really get started, I wanted to help you focus, to put your mind in the right place. And so the first thing is, stay with us. Don't run ahead. Stay with us. Don't fall behind. Stay with us. Let's go back to clearly focusing on Jesus. That's the direction that we're really trying to go to. So to start, I want to take you with, on a spiritual exercise it's sort of a, a led, guided prayer kind of thing. And so I'm going to give you a statement that I would like you to consider. And then there will be a response. The response will be up on the screen. It's the same one for every time. The response is, we trust you, Jesus. And the goal here is that whether or not you do, that this is the prayer that we would make. That these things would help to set us free. So first, as we start, let's lay down our ideas about this topic, about topics in general. Let's let them down. We trust you, Jesus. 
let's lay down our hopes. Let's lay down our histories. Let's lay down our theology. Let's lay down our expectations, whether good or bad. Let's lay down our fears. Let's lay down our control. Let's lay down our embarrassment. Let's lay down our great experience, great experiences, and our very bad ones. Lord Jesus, will you speak to us today through Scripture? We trust you to do that, Jesus. We are open to you speaking to us today. And if you sense resistance to that in some way, that that makes you feel uncomfortable, then please take a moment to ask Jesus why you feel a resistance to that. Deal with that with him. Oh God, hear our prayers. Okay, prophecy is what we're talking about today, and it's found in all of the major passages on spiritual gifts. It's repeated, it's mentioned time and time again. Uh, today we're going to pay a little bit closer attention to that, and we're going to give this gift more attention than we've given some of the other ones because of some of the history that's around it. Lots of history for this gift with people. And I, I would fully anticipate that there are differences in belief what's going on here. So that's why I'm asking you to put those things aside and let's discover what we can together, not what you have heard, not what you have remembered, not what somebody has told you in the past. There's a lot of belief and a lot of practice that has been added and subtracted from what Scripture teaches. There's even a modern church tradition that has been lumped together alongside with what Scripture teaches. Um, this gift has been confused and blended with other gifts. And we want to look today specifically at what Scripture teaches and not just what we remember on our own. So first, we'll jump through these kind of quickly. First, Ephesians 4. So Christ gave himself... So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to, equ to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. 1 Corinthians 12. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy. Romans 12, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. Here's a bit of a definition just to get us started so you can start to think about what we're talking about here. The gift of prophecy is to provide correction or perspective on a situation enabling the body of Jesus to discern God's leading. Sounds great. Way too vague. Not clear. That description, that definition could work for teaching. It could work for exhortation. You know what? You could even make it work for leading or the leadership gift. It doesn't go far enough. It's not clear enough in describing theirs. So try this one. A person operating with the gift of prophecy has the capacity to deliver truth in a public way, whether in a predictive nature or as a situational word from God in order to correct by exhortation, edifying, that means building up, or consoling believers, or to convince non-believers of God's very truth. A lot longer, <laughs> a lot more challenging. But notice some things that are being mentioned here, okay? It's a public thing. It's a word that could be given for a future thing, so there might be foresight involved. Not always. That's not the only way that it works. It also can be very much a situational word. And when we say word, we mean uh, a thought, an idea. Word is sort of a Christian way to say this thought had a word. It's a thought. It's a package. It's a, it's a paragraph kind of thing. A situational word that might come for the entire community. It edifies or rebukes Christians or actually brings non-Christians right to God himself. Another author wrote it this way. A person operating with this gift is deeply impressed that God has, by his spirit, 
given a message for him or her to deliver in a public situation. He or she proclaims that message with an authority and conviction. The message may result in further insight into God's word. It may cause the conviction of public sin. It may bring reproof or provide comfort or may even um, give a new sense of direction for the whole group. Many times the message may speak to a prominent issue that the whole church is facing. The person is not the one exposing biblically the Word of God. They are not the teacher. Rather, they are exposing the will of God in a particular situation. Is the gift of prophecy the same as Old Testament prophets? Big question, right? Because the Bible has this tendency to use the same words in places. We already talked about this with apostleship, the spiritual gift of apostleship being different than the office of apostle, which was just in the New Testament, just those who had been around um, Jesus for his life and his death. And Peter gave us specific guidelines of what an apostle was. And so in this way, we would say the same thing. Are the gifts, is the spiritual gift of prophecy the same as an Old Testament prophet? The answer is no. No, it's not. Um, Old Testament prophets wrote and spoke the very words of God. The New Testament didn't have prophets any longer except for Jesus, but they had apostles, the capital A apostles. Those are the ones that were given that office to write, to speak the very words of God. The gift of prophecy is not to be equated with apostles or with Old Testament prophets. Same kind of language, but a very different kind of idea. Again, the difference between a gift and an office. The spiritual gift of prophecy does not give you the office of prophet. Important distinction. Paul indicates that God could bring something spontaneous to your mind so that the person reporting it will do so in his or her own words, not the words of God. Sometimes we say it like that, but the reality is we translated it from what we got to the way we say it. 1 Corinthians 14 calls this revelation. But when they do it, it's a small r revelation. And the big and small makes a difference because theologians use the big, I can't do that with my fingers, the big r revelation is what they call scripture or, or Jesus. Divine revelation, capital R, looks like that. The revelation that the gift of prophecy brings is small are. Um, Paul is simply referring to something that God may bring to your mind, something that God might Im impress on your consciousness in such a way that you have a sense, this is from God, and it's not from you. Uh, that thought brought into your mind may be surprisingly distinct from your own train of thought. It, it might provide a, a, a vividness that is not the way that you normally are, um, perhaps a sense of urgency that's underneath it, or, or it comes back in a very persistent kind of way. Some other indication might be there to indicate that this is truly from the Lord and not just you. Here's the point of what that means. The gift of prophecy in the New Testament is lesser all the time than God's Word. And it is even lesser than the teaching of God's Word. Prophecies are not infallible. But God's Word is. And it's our final authority for faith, life, and practice. So you want to hear God speak? Read the Bible. You, you, you want to hear what God has to say? Read Jesus. Because Jesus is everything that God the Father wanted to say. Prophecy is not this. What does the Bible say about itself? If you look at first, or 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy 3.16, very well-known passage, um, describes Scripture in this way. All Scripture is god breathe and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. That's kind of what we're trying to do now, to take Scripture and use it to train us, to teach us, to rebuke us as if it needs to, to correct us, and to train us in righteousness. When you read the accounts of prophecy that come up in Thessalonians and Acts and Corinthians, the ones that are all about prophecy, it doesn't have the same bang. It doesn't have the same authority. When a prophecy is given, we are called to immediately test it. This is the way the language always works. So you should test whatever I say. You, you should test whatever any preacher says. You should test whatever any 
person who tells you they're a prophet says. You should test, always test, to make sure that it lines up with the whole package. But this is a directive that's clear, to test the words of a prophecy. We don't just let it fly. You don't get to say, hey, this is prophecy, so it gets a buy. No, as soon as you say it's prophecy, it raises a flag that says, bammo, we need to test it. We need to be aware of what's going on here. The church is to test it. We are designed and called to be a part of the package. We are not simply the ones who take in. We are called to be involved in that as well. So there's a story that comes from the book of Acts that helps us to look at what this looks like. Acts chapter 21, if you wanted to look there, starting at verse 4. Acts 21, 4. We sought out the disciples there and stayed with them seven days. Through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. This is actually a prophetic statement. It was a public statement, a word from God in that moment. If you keep reading, you'll find out that Paul violates that prophecy 100%. He goes to Jerusalem. He would never have done that if this was Scripture. If this was the Old Testament, he would never have violated it in that kind of a way. Skip down a little bit farther in the story, verse 8. Leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip, the evangelist, one of the seven. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. After we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet with it, and said, The Holy Spirit says, In this way, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentile. Agabus was a gifted man of God. He was the real deal. He wasn't a faker. He had the gift of prophecy. He used it. He was an incredibly important part of the early church. Yet this example helps us. Helps us to understand what the role of this gift really is and where it can go right and where it can go wrong. The side note, if you follow along, you see what's happening here. Agabus makes, gives his prophecy, but only two-thirds of the prophecy is right. And he got one-third of the prophecy wrong. If you keep reading in the book of Acts, and you know what? Here's another side note. Seriously, you should read your Bibles. There's all kinds of stuff in there that you didn't know were, was there just waiting for you. This is in there the whole time. You won't believe what you're going to find. You should read it. The Romans, not the Jews, actually bound Paul up. The Jews in the story, rather than voluntarily giving Paul up, actually tried to kill him. And he was rescued by force by the Romans. The prediction was not far off, but it had inaccuracies in detail. Those inaccuracies would be enough to call any Old Testament prophecy into question and potentially into trial situation. On the other hand, this text could be perfectly well explained by supposing that Agabus had a vision of Paul as a prisoner of the Romans in Jerusalem, surrounded by an angry mob of Jews. His own interpretation of that picture that vision, that revelation, what he saw, he added what it meant to it. And he saw it as the Jews had bound Paul and handed him over to the Romans. That's what he said. That's what he prophesied. That's what came out. It's the exact style of a fallible prophecy that fits the definition that we're looking for in the New Testament. Prophecy in the New Testament is reporting in one's own words something that God himself has spontaneously brought to mind. It becomes clear when you read Paul in other places. Look at 1 Thessalonians 5, starting at verse 16. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. But, Test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. This implies that the prophecy contains good things and potentially some things that are not so good. 
Then he encourages Christians to hold on to that which is good. Sort it, sift it, identify it. You would never say the same thing about the Old Testament or the New Testament. You don't say, just pick out the parts that you think are the right or the good. Now, unlike many other gifts, Paul gives some amazing descriptors of what this gift looks like, how it works out, how we use it together, how you should do it, and how you shouldn't use it. We get insight into this gift because Paul's writing to a church, a church that's just like ours, you know, relatively new, struggling to figure out how things work, and he's writing a letter to provide some correction to them because they're actually making some mistakes. The gifts weren't wrong, but how they were being used was. So 1 Corinthians 14, we're going to be here for the rest of the time. So if you have a, a hard Bible, it's 1 Corinthians 14 from now on. Starting in verse 1, follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. Notice, right at the top, right at the beginning of this description, he doesn't go to the gift. Paul starts with one thing, character. Character, and he describes it as the way of love. So right before 1 Corinthians chapter 14, we tried this game already. Right before 1 Corinthians chapter 14 is 1 Corinthians chapter... Yeah, excellent. Excellent work there. This chapter is known as the love chapter, where Paul goes on and on, and he describes the way of love. The description of love is appropriate for marriage, and so quite often we hear, we hear this phrasing in marriages. People like to have this read during their marriage, but it's never indicated as a marriage text. That's not the point of the text. It's um, entirely different. It's a Christian life text, not just a personal lovey text. Christian life is supposed to look like this. What should we look like? Well, what does it mean to be loving? Oh, right. It looks like this. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, starting at verse 4. Love is patient. This is how we're supposed to live. In marriage, but outside of marriage as well. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. We started at the very beginning of our series by talking about character. We need to start personally with our character. Individual character and our corporate character, what we together share as the way we are together. We need to start by allowing the Holy Spirit to awaken in us, to fan into flame the fruit of the Spirit. Let these arise. Then they'll guide the use of the gifts. Without growing character, even though the gifts are God-given, these gifts might be misused. Or you, or I, will be discredited and the value of the gift is lost because our character showed it to be false. Our character doesn't match what we say. So Paul says, follow the way of love. This is how you're supposed to live. This is what governs the use of every gift, every one of the gifts. But specifically, he goes on and talks about prophecy. So he says, follow the way of love, then get excited about prophecy. Verse 2, for anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Verse 3 is a really good one there to, rem to remember. Why do we do this? Strengthening, encouraging, comfort. It's not about your personal devotional times. It's all about what we're doing right now. Public, corporate worship. Paul is not about dismissing or shutting down any gift that God has given, but he wants to place gifts in their right place. The purpose of prophecy, Paul says, is simple. We strengthen Christians, we encourage Christians, we comfort and confront Christians. 
This is all that prophecy is about. It's not about the person speaking. It's not about a show. It's not about a wow factor. It's about God speaking dramatically into a context. God, when he uses this, will strengthen some of us. He will give faith. He will give encouragement. He will give um, that exhortation to go on. He will appeal. He will even gently rebuke a whole church community. Verse 4. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. This is not saying that if tongues is used in public and then interpreted, that it becomes prophecy for the rest of us. That's not the heartbeat of what's being said there. If tongues is interpreted, then we as the community get to agree. We get to participate with what God is saying to you, what you're praying, what you're thanking God for. But tongues is deeply person-centered, where prophecy is public. It's all about intelligibility. It's the heartbeat that's what's going on here. It's not denying or rejecting either experience. He's talking about how it works out correctly in the church. Verse 6. Now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? I can break out in tongues all day long and you're going to look at me and go, pardon? It's not going to connect. What use is that in public worship? But if I bring teaching or a word of knowledge or a word of instruction, or if I bring a prophecy or revelation, that's better because we are built up by it. He's saying that prophecy is better than tongues in public because it benefits all of us. And it implies something. It implies that this gift should not be neglected. It's one important part of worship gatherings. It's not weird. It's not crazy. It's not physically dangerous. It's word-centered because something is being said. It's power-centered because, as we'll see in just a moment from, the, from Scripture, it actually demonstrates the presence and the reality of God. God himself, amongst normal, everyday, broken people, like all of us. He goes on and on, and you, and you can read this yourself, but the, the key is coming to this. He's saying, church, into one. I want this place to be about love. I want this to be a place where God is moving. I want you to respect each other in such a way that people are being built up. The heartbeat, the focus, is on what's best for the whole family. The passage that we've been looking for, looking at, and that I'm, I know that you're going to go home and you're going to read the rest of it in all its detail, because I know that's the kind of people that you always are. Um, this passage is a correction to a community that's overplaying the importance of tongues. So far in dealing with this passage, he's only been dealing with the impact of prophecy and tongues on Christians. The whole conversation has been about how tongues rightly or wrongly affects us. How does prophecy help us, a community? And then he does something wild. He just stops what he was doing. He stops that conversation. It's like he turns to a different audience and he says, now I want to tell you how tongues and prophecy can affect those among you who don't know Jesus yet. Verse 22. Tongues, then, are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is not for unbelievers, but for believers. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and inquirers or unbelievers come in, will they not say that you are out of your mind? You just think about it. It's not hard to understand. Many of you would be in the same spot. You don't have any familiarity with this. It's just happening all around you. That's a natural way to think. You're out of your mind. But if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, they are convicted of sin. They're brought under judgment by all as the secrets of their heart are laid bare. So they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. Non-believers don't see tongues as the presence of God. They're going to say that you're crazy. I don't know what's going on. I need to be somewhere else right now. This is Paul trying to correct the church. 
so they understand the effect of these gifts on Christians and non-Christians with point in one gathering. This implies something else in the early church. Their worship gatherings contained believers, unbelievers, seekers, and people who were not at all interested. And so the way they were to participate was to be concerned for all. Through prophecy, even the most hardened, skeptical, the most opposed person could be met by the living God personally. It's a powerful idea. And honestly, it's scary. And it probably also reveals why many of us don't really want this gift to function in and around us. God could give a prophecy to someone that is shared publicly, and that message might be for an individual, it might be for a group, it might be for the whole body present. That makes things that were sedentary start to move. And that can be intimidating. What would your attendance start to look like if you had the genuine belief that you would be encountering God today and next week as well? What would you do to your scheduling? Would it make you more available or less available? What would, what would it be like if God was to start invading our gatherings and our lives much more directly, more clearly? Would you like that? Would you need to find another church? Do you want to change and be changed? Do you want the conviction of the Holy Spirit to rest on you? Do you want to be brought to freedom? Do you want to keep your ability to hide? Or do you want your sin to be removed? Do you want to be um, improved and, in, and, and receive intensified guidance in walking the life of faith? Or do you want to still do whatever you want to do? I want to be part of a church that finds God, that somehow connects with Him in a world where people can't seem to do it. And then I want to be able to let God do what God does. And frankly, I've looked at this, I've considered this for a while. The reality is scary. It makes me somewhat nervous. But I really, really like what's on the other side of my fear. That's really where I want to be. And he's the completion of holiness. He's the essence of love. So in this process, we can trust him. He's not out to hurt you. He's out to heal you. And, and the feeling that someone will somehow put the hand, the finger out on you and say, this is you, that's not the point of prophecy for the most part either. It's for the group. It's to, to make a statement that convicts someone but convicts them because the presence of the Holy Spirit convicts them, not because I point my finger at you and say, you are a sinner, what did you do last night? That's not the way that it works. Can, but that's not the general way that it's supposed to be. God's gift of prophecy to us moves us in direction towards him. Verse 26, what then shall we say, brothers and sisters? When you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. Always comes back to the building up part. This tells us something about what worship services were like 2,000 years ago. They had teaching, singing, praying, prophecy, speaking in tongues and interpreting tongues. There was a mix of word gifts and the power gifts. And if you read Acts, you will know that they, they shared communion together. They celebrated it. They gave gifts to each other. They gave gifts to the poor. They shared among themselves. There was no one with need. All the gifts were present all the gifts were there to build up the church. Verse 27, if anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at the most three should speak, one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. For you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of prophets 
are subject to the control of prophets. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. Paul suggests that they should listen carefully and then again, sift what's being said. Sift the good and the bad. Rejecting some, accepting some. There must be a testing to see what is from the Lord. Order. Order is about deference, self-control. It is not about comfort. Peace is the goal, not comfort. We limit the number of speakers so that the leaders have time to evaluate what is being said. Remember, 100% of it will not be right. That's why it needs to be tested. Okay, so here's some symptoms of the gift of prophecy. See if this sounds like you. You're not afraid to, uh, to speak out publicly or take a strong stand on issues. You see the needs of a whole group spiritually, and you're willing to take a biblical stand on them. When you speak publicly, people are convicted by God's truth that you give. You demonstrate an inner sensitivity to God, and you have had a variety of experiences in which the Holy Spirit speaks to you, and you feel you have a word for the whole community or the small group. It can be expressed in a couple of ways. We've talked about this previously as well. A scripture, an image, a picture, a statement, a verse. These will encourage or admonish. It does not come from your own political bent. It does not come from your own philosophical view on what your church should be doing. It does not come from your holy or unholy discontent. It is Jesus speaking to his church through you. It has nothing to do with your own agenda. Okay, so here we go. What have we learned? Here's our quick summary coming up here. First thing, prophecy the gift is not like Old Testament prophets or New Testament apostles. Different. Number two, it is not the gift of teaching. Separate gifts. Number three, it is not equal to the Bible. In fact, it's lesser than the, even the teaching of God's Word. The more we participate in the use of this gift of prophecy, the more we should raise the standard for accurate biblical knowledge and teaching. The biblical knowledge and usage level should be increasing overall. Prophecy is a valuable gift, as they all are, but it is the Scriptures where God speaks His Word to us clearly. Four, prophecy is public and done in community. It is not a person-to-person -person experience. When we talk about words of knowledge, in a couple of weeks, that's going to help you qualify where it's a little bit different. The word of prophecy given publicly can be for a person, a family, a group, or the whole church. Five, the idea, the word, the image, the prophecy needs to be tested so that we can know that it is God-given. Six, the use of the gift must be orderly. If we're going to legitimize one gift, then we have to legitimize them all. If we're going to say that teaching and administration are key, then we need to be able to say that exhortation and prophecy are key as well. Why? Because Jesus is Lord, and we need to let him speak and lead. Now, let's be clear. We are not just on the edge of installing a prophecy microphone at the front when you can just get up and use it whenever you feel like it. There will be no glitter, rhinestone-clad microphone that's ready for the prophecy celebration. Okay? We need to figure out how we're going to do this. Let's be honest. It needs to, we need to um, place it. There's definitely a spot for this at our Thursday night gatherings. We've got to figure out some way that we can make this come alive in more of a, a public corporate worship setting. But it must be orderly, and we have to figure out what that's going to be. And we don't know exactly how to do that right now. But, again, it needs to be discerned and tested by leaders. So here's the other side of things. Now, if someone messes up, with the gift of prophecy. It does not devalue the gift or the person. Anyone can mess up using any gift, right? It happens. We're people. We know how to mess up anything. Imagine, we, we get someone who, who feels compelled. I need to reach out and act in mercy. But it falls flat. Do, would we as a church then say, well, no more gifts of mercy coming from this church. Somebody's trying to help or to serve. And a problem comes from the way they did that. 
well, clearly no more serving should happen at this church. Someone drops the ball teaching. Well, therefore, no teaching ever again, right? No, we're going to lead and grow together. If it is discerned to be more human than God, we just let it fall to the floor. And inquisition's not required. This is an eyes-up kind of moment. When any of us mess up, we gently encourage in the right direction. Focus yourself back on Jesus. Put your mind and your heart back there. We all need to grow. We are all on this road trip in earnest pursuit of Christ. We are all looking to grow our faith. We are all seeking to improve our character. One of the human tragedies of the fall is that we as humans thought we could hide from God. We've been trying to do it ever since the fall. How much do we need the deep, penetrating presence of the Spirit of God to come on us and convict us of sin and to convict us towards righteousness? He knows us. We need to remember that. He already knows us. Prophecy is one of the ways that we can be disabused of the notion that our secret lives are secret before our all-knowing and all-loving God. We are fully known. Everything about you is already known. Every secret, every dark spot, everything that you never want someone to hear about, everything that you would never want exposed, it's already known. And you are already known completely loved exactly as you are but called to more encouraged to come farther along this is where we have to say again living God do anything among us that you see fit okay the same thing as the other weeks if you believe you have the gift of prophecy, that you might have the gift of prophecy. It's something that you are willing to try and say, God, I'm pursuing this. I need to think about that. If that's where you are, we want to pray for you. We want to pray blessing. We want to play, pray discernment. And we want to pray character on you. And so if that's you, I'd ask. If you believe that you have the gift of prophecy, please stand. At the same time, we're going to ask for people who might not have been here for other weeks that this is where you are. Thanks. I know this is a little bit awkward, a little bit uncomfortable, but I want to go back. If you missed one of the other weeks and your gift was in there, uh, we want to keep praying for you as well. So um, that would be leading, pastoring, evangelism. If those are your gifts. Please stand. We're also thinking of administration. Helps mercy, giving, teaching, apostleship, and exhortation. We are looking to affirm these gifts in each other. We are looking to identify places because God has said we have received a gift. We need to identify those in each other and we need to fan them into flame. We need to be subject to each other, right? Mutual submission. We don't get to say to someone, this is what I have. You must do what I say. Jesus, thank you for your word. For your word is real. And it is true. Thank you for distributing gifts in our midst. Thank you for these gifts that we have already spoken. Thank you for blessing us richly with people who are identifying what you may have called them to be. God, we pray for revelation in this as well, that you would give them clarity and that you would give them the ability to step forward. We are better for these gifts in our midst. We are better for these people in our midst. But God, please give us the character, the character we need. To exercise these gifts in a God-honoring way, in a church-building kind of way, 
in mutual submission to each other and submission to Christ. Give us the ability and the desire to serve. May the power of Christ be released upon these standing. May this again be beyond all that we can ask or even imagine. God, we pray that you would send honor. We pray that you would use these gifts, that you would provide pure motives, that you would fill these people with your spirit. Give them opportunities to use their gifts to serve. As they do that, I pray that you would bless them and give them that sense of joy that you are, um, that you are with them. Empower them. Release them. Use them. And with this power given to each one here, Jesus, I pray that you would build your church called Into One. Build your church in Stouffville, in York Region, and in Ontario. Build it in Canada and throughout the world. As we pray these things for Into One, God, we also pray these things for our friends, our brothers and sisters, uh, Derek and Bonnie Burnett, who are in Phuket, Thailand, and they are overseeing the All Nations Church. God, we pray, we stand with them as they are building a new church, and they are trying something that's new to them. God, we pray your blessing upon them. We pray that you would rise up leaders amongst them and that you would define and make clear the gifts that are there to serve in this new place. We look forward to watching what you do in our midst and to tell each other stories of your great faithfulness and love. Be glorified in our midst. Be lifted up for you, Jesus, our Lord. Grow your church, Lord Jesus. And all God's people said, To him who holds us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom of priests to God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. May you be blessed in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You may be seated. Today, like always, it's better when you're here. It's better when we're together. The more we connect, I believe the better it's going to get. So thank you. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for participating here.